welcome to the Locked On Leafs podcast. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio, also known as Al's brother on TSN's Overdrive. You can find me on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow the show on Twitter while you're at it, at Locked On Leafs. And if you like what you hear today, please be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. Also, leave a rating in the comments as well. All of those stuff uh, certainly help with the channel. Uh, being joined today to discuss the Leafs' victory uh, today is Dave Morissuti from Sportsnet, also the NHL PA. What's going on, Dave? Not too bad, Mike. You know, uh, finally enjoying some hockey to watch, so I can't complain right now. Oh, yeah, it's been a really good week. After months of not being able to watch hockey, you know, it was a solid weekend. Although the Leafs weren't able to win game one, they come out firing in game two and come away with a 3 nothing win over the Blue Jackets to tie the season or to tie the, the playoff series at one game apiece. So it's now just a three-game tournament between these two teams. But unfortunately, there's one thing that everybody wants to talk about right now, and it's something that no one ever wants to talk about after a win, and it's talking about an injury. Um, Jake Muzzin lying down on the ice for up over 10 minutes, a really eerie incident, kind of a freak play where he kind of tripped up a bit, maybe got shoved a little and went head first into a player's knee. And it, it kind of just seemed like a little bit of whiplash sort of deal. And, you know, but he was down for quite some time after finally getting stretchered off the ice and taken to the hospital. No word yet on the severity of the injury, but like I, it was just such an odd play where it just kind of seemed a little harmless. Even when you watch the replay, it doesn't seem like a a play that you typically see and go, ooh, oh, that's got to hurt. It's kind of like, I don't know, it was just a really odd play, uh, an odd result of a play that you think you see happen, you know, five, six, ten times a game. And just for some reason this time, it, it didn't go so well. Um, still not sure exactly what the injury is or what it was. Uh, he's still going under some tests and things. The good thing is, I believe, is that he like he sat up and he was kind of shaking his hand, kept shaking his wrists and stuff. So like he was he was really alert, which was kind of odd because of the precautions that they were taking with him. But you know what was kind of going through your head as you sat there and 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 watched this kind of unfold in the final two minutes of the game when the Leafs. Um, seemingly we're just a couple of minutes away from a win and then kind of put all of those emotions to a halt while you're watching Muzzin uh, um, laying down on his back on the ice. Well, at first I thought maybe based on what happened, I thought he got winded. I thought, okay, you know, it's sort of that deal where when you fall awkwardly and you kind of get the wind knocked out of your, maybe like a a sort of like whiplash because the way his neck, when you saw the replay, the way the neck happened, I'm a little surprised because they were talking that we didn't catch any of the audio from that. We caught a lot of other audio, but I'm guessing they were really careful with the mics in that situation. But as soon as I saw the trainer, and I don't don't know how many people noticed it, but as soon as the trainer put his hands in the neck, chin area, I'm like, okay, he's stabilizing his neck. The stretcher is going to come out next. Like they're, they're preparing for that. And just based on training that I've had with sort of situations like this, you know, with any neck injury, you really have to be careful. I'm I'm guessing the reason why he was moving his hands and his legs is he had a weird feeling somewhere. And, and like, you know, he just, he just like, I I feel weird, even though I could move my hands and my, and my legs, you can tell that something wasn't right with his neck area. And in those situations, you have to take every precaution necessary. And they obviously did. 
with, you know, bringing out the stretcher and, and look, you saw how, you know, usually sometimes they go to break in those situations or you don't see all of it. But in that case, because of, you know, no fans, you saw pretty much everything and how careful they were being in that situation. And I, you know, you can tell just why the reaction by the guys on all the players on the ice that they knew that this was a severe thing. The one thing I didn't like about it, and it's gone Twitter on a, a bit of an uproar, was that Dubois did take you know a shot in the back that kind of pushed him down and put him in that situation. Mm-hmm. And those those like those are the things you don't want to see. Like those cross checks shouldn't like if you're gonna call certain penalties like slashing and stuff, the cross check to the back can't happen either. And look, he didn't mean for that to happen. It's a it was a freak play just because of the way Muslim was trying to push off the ice with his skate, which I found that to be quite strange. But I'm guessing, you know, he, he was in a situation where, situation where he was trying to get the puck and try to make a play that it, it was just a very unfortunate thing to happen. So, you know, it, it's, it, it puts a bit of a damper on that, on that win. Like, you know, you want to look at how everything went so well for the Leafs and then just that one thing, because now you're looking at the next few games and you're, you're left wondering for sure. Yeah, you're heading into the the 58th minute of the game, riding high, thinking we got we're up two. We're doing a pretty good job killing off this final penalty here. You know, we got our big boys out there, Jake Muzzin blocking shots, and then you know, next thing you know, you blink and Muzzin's down on the ground and, and, and grimacing in a lot of pain. And right away, trainers coming out. Then 10 minutes later, he's still on the ice. You see the stretcher come out, and it's just you're kind of like, wow, that really took away the the emotion and the energy that the game had and and for the first time really in this entire playoffs I think uh you kind of got that feeling where you realize how weird it is not having a crowd there because it was just so eerie so silent none of the players were speaking and you couldn't hear anything in that building you know and and for a time you had the announcers even kind of stop talking as as things were going on down on the ice level and it was just so quiet and silent and it was really I think just the first time that you realize like wow they're playing without fans and you know it's just kind of a really awkward and eerie situation yeah i mean the no usually in those situations you know fans aren't they're they're kind of having the same reaction that we probably all had at home which was well, even know. if you think about it like a lot of the times and and i've done a few hockey broadcasts myself you know a lot of times what they'll end up doing uh, for, for the tv broadcast is they'll kind of pan away from the injury and they'll you know take a, a shot of the bench and, and their emotions and then kind of they go and they pick out fans and just kind of show you the emotions of what's going on with the fans the look on the fans faces but without that it was kind of all players and you could just see how kind of glum they all were and then also obviously a lot of it was focused on on Muzzin and you could just see everything that was going on and and them trying to to you know grab his finger and see if he could apply pressure and it took them a while to get the the board up under him so they could stretcher him off and it was just a really weird weird scenario that I guess we don't really notice or 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 see I guess all of it because usually mm-hmm. in a broadcast they're they're kind of focusing camera angles on different stuff every kind of five to ten seconds whereas here it was like well there's nothing to really change the camera angles because that that's it everyone's on the ice right there's nobody in the stands there's no other views to take a look at 
Yeah, and the only other people they were trying to get to was Kyle Dubas and Brendan Shanahan. Right. And it seemed like, you know, they were ready to go wherever they needed to go because, you know, Muzzin's most likely going to the hospital, so they got to they got to deal with that as well. And in the situation with, uh, with the bubble, that's, that's just another added uh, thing that you have to, you know, think about on top of the injury itself is that he's leaving the bubble yeah. to go to a medical facility. Um, I actually was wondering that because somebody brought it up on Twitter and being like, you know, now he's leaving the bubble. What's the protocol for him? And someone's saying that most are saying that it will most likely be a four day, and, and this, the thing is, he's probably staying at the hospital for observation. For depending on what they're what they're looking at, he might be spending the night there. And then by the time he gets back in the bubble, people are saying that he has to have four straight days of negative tests before he can play again. Yeah, and so that's you know that's the second thing that kind of after you 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 know you, I wasn't even thinking about oh my god this bubble thing until afterwards kind of same as you i saw the chatter about it on twitter saying like well what happens now that he's going to be out for a little bit is he going to have to re-isolate himself before returning to the bubble since he technically has now left you know what's the protocol there and i think i saw his frank saravalli of tsn tweet out saying there really was no legitimate straightforward protocol about this so it leads me to believe that i don't think they were really thinking Maybe they they did, but like I, it was the first time that we had a chance to really see this in action, I guess. So we didn't really have answers, and I haven't really seen a straightforward answer as well, other than Sarah Volley saying that it didn't look like the NHL had a straightforward answer as to how long he would have to isolate. But now I guess you're hearing four days. I hadn't seen that, but um, I'll certainly take your word for it. And if that's the case. He certainly won't be able to go Thursday and then probably will have to miss game four as well. So, you know, not that I'm worried about him getting into, into a game as soon as possible, because obviously his health is, is number one. If he needs to, to take the time off to, to make sure that he's okay, clearly, even if he's out for the rest of the playoffs, that's what he needs to do. Like, the end of the day hockey's just a game he needs to worry about his body and his life for for the, you know the rest of his life um but if he can't go on thursday which it sounds like he won't and then can't go the rest of the series you know how much of an effect does this have on the leafs like muzzin is one of their hardest working defensemen he's their shutdown guy on the shutdown pairing with him and hall and they've looked really really well good over the past couple of games i thought they were tremendous again today muzzin a fearless guy who goes out there bangs the body he was very physical again today against a physical columbus team you take that out of the lineup it may not kind of look so good for the leafs going forward here without muzzin oh definitely not i mean you look at the the Blue Jackets, they're a team that has a lot of big bruising forwards. And, you know, they're, they're you know, you need a guy like Muzzin that will, you know, push guys around because they're, they're not, they don't play a lot of the speed. They're not, they're not a very speed oriented team. They're a team that likes to, you know, they're a bruising team. That's, that's their, uh, that's what we've come to know of them. So Muzzin brings that intensity that you need. You know, it's it's his experience. It's his, you know, ability to play in these sort of situations where you need a leader on the ice. And you know, he he had that shot block on the penalty kill. Like that's the penalty kill. I think is going to be the biggest issue if he you know, without him because that's that's the area that the Leafs you know that could decide a series. 
decide a game in a series as well. So, and you look at the at the depth options the Leafs have. They don't have a, I mean, they don't have a Jake Muzzin to replace them, right? No, it looks like you're probably going to have to push Dermot back up into the top four and kind of have him play with Justin Hall, or maybe you see Hall and and Morgan Riley get a chance to play with each other, and Dermot ends up playing with Cody CC, or who knows? Maybe they end up bringing in, uh, you know, Rasmus Sandin will probably end up checking into the lineup. Maybe he gets some more minutes. Like, I feel like it's going to have to be kind of a committee thing to try and replace Muzzin's minutes, whether that's at, at you know, at even strength on the or on the penalty kill. I don't feel like you can trust Dermot to go out there and play, you know, 23, 24 minutes like you expect for Muzzin to do and, and play them hard as well. You know, I feel like it's going to have to be kind of a committee thing, kind of a next man up mentality and they could do it as a group. Um, but certainly I think the guy who everyone's going to be looking at to step up, at least for the most part is going to have to be Travis Dermott. Yeah. I mean, th- this is the thing. And I know, you know, you never want to make light of it, but the Leafs have already dealt with something like this before, you know, Back in February, when uh, when Muzzin broke his hand, it was yeah. Travis Dermott that had to step in, and I I thought that stretch where where Muzzin was out was the best we've seen of Travis Dermott. I mean, they won the next game in Florida, and Dermott played pretty much stapled to the Barkov Huberto line, and he was really good. And then I think you know he he's a guy that I think that Sheldon Keefe is going to rely on. Um, People are wondering if it's going to be Rasmus Sandin or Martin Marincin. I would hope it's Sandin just because I don't really want to see Martin Marincin to come in this series. <laughs> I think Travis Dermott will be that guy that will move up to play with Justin Hall, be that shutdown pair, and then you go with – you try to figure out that third pairing. Uh, I mean, I don't know if they're going to go with the Sandin Barry or – like a sanding CC that it, there's too many question marks on how they'll make that work. I mean, obviously the practice, if the least practice tomorrow, that will determine what the lineup will look like, obviously. But um, I think it will most likely be Travis Dermott taking on that tough, that tough role that, that Muslim was playing, whether it's, you know, the top PK minutes and the shutdown role with, with Hull. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Dave. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to have to be Dermot to, to step up and kind of take some responsibility and, and kind of become, uh, become a, a player that the Leafs can, can kind of lean on going forward into this series uh, as they look to, to try and clinch this five-gamer that is now turned into a three-gamer. Uh, coming up on the other side, Let's get into the the nuts and bolts of this 3-0 win with the Leafs defeating the Columbus Blue Jackets, and we'll do that next. Welcome back to the Locked On Leafs podcast. Mike DiStefano still with you alongside with me. We got Dave Morissuti today from Sportsnet. Dave, the Leafs finally getting it done, finally hit the score sheet in the second period with Austin Matthews, getting them on the board, and then really a big sigh of relief from Leafs Nation. I don't know about you. I was actually driving in the car when that goal happened, listening to Bowen on the radio, 
And first of all, there's nothing better than listen to Bonesy go absolutely ballistic when the Leafs score. Um, and, and I just, in my car, was just celebrating, fist pumping, screaming like, let's go, boys, let's go. And, uh, you know, that was just such a big moment. And then they just kept pouring it on really from the get-go, I thought. Uh, some overall impressions for you on tonight's win, 3 uh, nothing against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Well, first off, I mean, we talk about missing fans. First, the first indication that a goal goes in is when you see the fans behind the net go up and go crazy. Because at first, it's sort of a delayed reaction when Matthew scored. I know you listened to it on the radio. I watched it on TV. You saw the shot go. I got the you know the redirect off the pass from Hyman, and usually you see fans go up and then the cheering happens. So at first you kind of like it's almost like a delayed reaction. But, I mean, as soon as that goal went in, it was just, like, a massive, like, oh, finally. I mean, other words come into mind when that goal went in. But just the, the lighting it off your chest that it finally happens, you know, after a very, very frustrating game one. And, I mean, at, you, you figured at some point the Leafs were going to break through because as good as Corpusalo was or has been in this series – the Leafs were going to find a way to score. It kind of remind we were thinking that this was reminding me of that California road trip where they couldn't buy a goal, but they were they were generating way too much in this game to be uh, to have another potential shutout uh, against Columbus. No, it was incredible. Like the Leafs controlled the play like almost right from the get go. Um, they dictated this game this time around. It, it totally went their way. Outshot them thirty nine to twenty, and and they really controlled a lot of the play in the ozone for majority of this game. And I thought that this was a fantastic bounce back performance from a lot of guys. Uh, that second line looked way better tonight. JT had numerous chances uh, before finally burying that in the third period, getting his first goal of the playoffs. Thought Marner had a few good opportunities. Still didn't quite have the Marner-esque game that I uh, that I've come to to expect out of him. Uh, but still, I thought that he had a much better game. Came out flying in the first period. Um, Matthews once again electric and I thought that that Kyle Clifford came out and he set the tone today you know I think you could tell that that hit that he laid on Kukan in that first period real early in the game really set the tone and it had an effect for the rest of the game because you know I don't know if you noticed this but every single time that he was out there on the ice it kind of seemed like the Blue Jackets were were on alert and they knew and when he was coming in hard on the four check it seemed like they were thinking twice about holding on to the puck and then would get just kind of get rid of it a little too soon and sometimes it would force a turnover and you know that that's effective you know like after you see the Leafs after that like that hit you just saw the Leafs coming out and, and really making an effort to finish their checks. You saw Zach Hyman following through on some hits. Muzzin was making some big hits. Kerfoot out there laying the boom. You know, it really got the juices going for Toronto, and they took control of the game from that hit onward. And I felt that Kyle Clifford um, – I had a conversation with a group of buddies of mine earlier today about how I felt that that, that, that fourth line just didn't play enough in the first game. Um, they all played like just a, a change – uh, three and change, just not enough time for for really that would be considered your meat and potatoes line 
like when you're playing against a team like Columbus, you would expect for them to go out there and maybe try and wear down their opponents a little bit. Um, and that's what Cal Clifford really from the get-go wanted to do. He wanted to set that precedence, and he did with that thunderous hit. And it just seemed like the momentum went Toronto's way from that point all the way through to the final buzzer. And I just am so glad to see that, you know, something like that happened for Toronto because I feel like you really needed something like that to happen just to kind of get them into this game and get the juices flowing. And, and at the end of the day, it happened and the Leafs took it and ended up running away with it and winning this game. Yeah. This is what he was brought in to do. He was exactly. the, he's the guy that you don't have to tell him that that's what he needs to do. He knows, okay, game one didn't go our way. We didn't get enough playing time. So what do we have to do? We have to force the issue of getting more ice time. I mean, I also thought the addition of Pierre Engvall also added something. You know, he might not look the same offense, like the same offensively as he did when he started with the Leafs, but his speed, I think, allows Clifford to realize I can go deeper into the zone, you know, really push the pace to be, you know, bring that physical play because Engvall can cover me if I get caught, you know. Yeah getting a little deep there. Like Frederick Gauthier doesn't have the skating ability that Pierre Engvall does. So I feel like that changes things up a little bit in that regard. But Cl- Clifford, I think, realizes that, you know, he, he can try to get the boys going uh, in the locker room, but on the ice is where his presence can really be felt. You know, Muzzin, I feel like, did that also in Mon- when in that exhibition game against Montreal where he laid that massive hit. Oh, Belzil. Like the the guys get a buzz. They get a little like if like as watching the game when you see those hits happen, you get like really excited. Imagine what the guys on the ice feel when they see those hits. For sure. So I I think Clifford definitely had a really like he had a presence. This is this is something that you get out of a guy who has the playoff experience and has been through it so many times, and he brought a bit of that L.A. King style to the Leafs. You know, that, that style that a lot of people were looking for, that hard nose, get in their face, and just, you know, make life miserable for the other players. So a really good thing to see. I think definitely the fourth line needed more playing time because you need you need to send them out against, you know, the Seth Jones pairing and get them and, and get some hits on them because Seth Jones – you know, was abuse. I mean, not completely abusing Austin Matthews last game, but yeah, he, he's pretty close. He, <laughs> he was, he was, he was giving Matthews a really hard time, and nobody was doing it on the reverse end on Joe and Seth Jones. Him and Rensky were were pretty much untouched in game one, and in game two, I mean, Rensky missed some time because you know there was a lot more physical play sent their way, and I think they the Leafs definitely did a better job adjusting in this one because they realized. They made life too easy for that pairing. They were too busy letting that pairing dictate the play rather than taking the play to them. Oh, 100%. And you talk about adjustments, and I'm going to talk about some adjustments in just a moment. But first, I do want to tell you about our show sponsor today, Rock Auto. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com for shop and for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, more oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for a classic or a daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Best of all, price at RockAuto.com. 
Realtor.com are always reliably low and the same for the professionals as the do-it-yourselfers. So why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and write locked on on their how'd you hear about us box so that they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com. Welcome back to the Locked On Leafs podcast. Mike DiStefano still with you. Alongside me, we still got uh, Dave Morissuti. So just before we uh, cut to break there, we were talking about some adjustments that were happening. And we're going to go through, we're going to talk about the good, the better, and the best like we do for every Leafs win. So uh, I I hated that on Saturday. We had to do the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, or Sunday, sorry, we had to do good, bad, the ugly. Now we can talk about the good, the better, the best. It's all good because it's a big, big win uh, for the Maple Leafs. And we talk about adjustments, and that's why I wanted to start off with this one because for me, my good, Sheldon Keefe. It takes good coaching to make adjustments mid-series so early, and he got that team to buy in and, and show up guns a-blazing today, and it was impactful. And all uh, the other thing, too, he consciously played that fourth line more tonight. They doubled the ice time of that fourth line tonight, and they were impactful when they were on the ice. And the third thing that I really want to talk about and I really want to stress uh, when we're talking about Coach Keefe and, and how well he managed this game today. One of the benefits that you have when you are the quote unquote home team is you have that last change. So the Leafs had that last change this time around. And think about what happened in the other game. It seemed like Matthews was always stuck with um with Seth Jones. Well, tonight I think that the coach, Coach Keefe, did a much better job making sure that Matthews had a little bit more space today because you look at five on five play. Austin Matthews only had to deal with Seth Jones for six minutes and 28 seconds of ice time. That's it. Just six minutes and 28 seconds of ice time. And uh, Matthews played a lot better in today's game. I think it's because he had a little bit more space to go. And then you take a look, it, it seemed like he just went out and he kind of spread it around. You know, the the second line of, of Tavares, McCabe, and Nylander had three or four minutes of, of ice time up against him. The third line, the fourth line had a few shifts against him um, with Kyle Clifford playing two and a half minutes up against Seth Jones. So, like we said, you want to play that fourth line in there, have him go in, lay the body, make some hits, and and kind of weaken the, the – the, the defensive core and I feel like that's what they did and that's what was needed that was one of the adjustments that I said going into the game that they had to do and Sheldon Keefe did that but from game one to game two for, so for that he gets my gold star he's a good for me who is your good my good is Frederick Anderson because he didn't have to do as much in this game as in game one like he would have had my my vote for way best for game one game Game two, he had to make the tough saves when he needed to, but he obviously didn't have as much thrown his way. But, you know, he he looks, and I, I mentioned this on Twitter, that he remind, he looks more so like he did in Anaheim in the playoffs. I feel like the Leafs, because they didn't allow as many scoring chances, he, he just really had to dial in when necessary. And after that goal he gave in on game one, he totally redeemed himself, although he kind of redeemed himself in game one with all the other saves he made as well. But, you know, he he's he there were some question marks about him. I don't think there's any question marks about him, you know, going forward in this series. 
Yeah, he's he's totally shut me up because I was one of those – I want to say I was a doubter, but I was questioning whether or not he was going to show up because, you know, we've talked about it a lot, not only on this podcast, but it's been written about, it's been talked about everywhere. You know, Freddie does not show up in October. It just hasn't been the case since he's arrived in Toronto. And just because of the fact that it's been a four-month layoff since he had played hockey, it was kind of the thought was, well, what if he starts off slow like he tends to do after the summer layoff? And that was really the big fear coming into this series. Well, he shut me up through two games and three games, if you really think about it, because he played pretty darn good against Montreal as well. But really, these last two games, I mean, you take away that one muffin that he allowed um, that just squeaked past him from Atkinson. Like, this guy's got back-to-back shutouts written all over him, right? So I, I, I really, really, really love what Freddie Anderson has done throughout this playoff so far. He's looked great. He's looked fantastic. I had him as my better, actually, So uh, and for much of the reasons that I just said. So who is your better tonight? Oh, I mean, it's going to probably be Austin Matthews because he was a monster in Game 1. In Game 2, I mean, he's the one that broke – He's the one that broke the streak, the guy that finally got them on the board. And he was still phenomenal in in this one, too. I mean, he had a presence more so than I think we've ever seen from him in the play, in, in the playoffs. And, you know, that that play that he had, it wasn't it didn't look like an incredibly dangerous play. But, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, what, you just got to get as many chances on that. They don't all have to be the perfect shot. And I feel like the Leafs were guilty of trying to get too many perfect plays on net in game one. And in this one, they just like, we're just going to try to get as many towards the net as possible. And eventually something will go in. And lo and behold, Matthews was able to, to direct one past Corpus Allo, who I, I'm surprised that's the one that beat him considering all the other saves that he made uh, in the past few games. So Matthews definitely gets my better. Yeah, and Matthews had my best. Um, You know, I thought once again for the second night in a row, Austin Matthews was the best forward out there for the Maple Leafs. Um, You know, like I said, he's the one who got the things going, right? He opened up the floodgates to allow Tavares to come in and score again once they finally realized in their heads, oh, my God, Corpus Allo's not, you know, a, a superhuman. He can be beat because Matthews just put one past him. And I felt that it was so imperative for the Leafs to score the opening goal in this game. Like once it was 0-0 after one, I was like, hey, right now, this is a win for the Blue Jackets. The Leafs need to score the first goal of this hockey game. They can't afford to allow the first goal and then try and climb back into it again because if that happens, they may fall into what happened last time where they're, you know, Columbus is pretty darn good at nursing a one-goal lead. And that's what we saw in game one. Couldn't afford to ha- for that to happen in game two. So the fact that Austin Matthews finally was able to break the scoring and get uh, get the first goal of the hockey game and allow the Leafs to sit back and, and have them dictate play after that, um, I, I really thought that that was kind of, uh, the the number one key moment of the game, the TSN turning point, if you will. So I, I had Austin Matthews as my best. Uh, curious, since, you know, you used Freddie and Austin as your good and your better, who was your best? Oh, I mean, I think he was probably the best player on the ice, and that was John Tavares. I was at first concerned about all the chances he was getting on net and they weren't going in. You saw the frustration on his face. But when I saw him get on that breakaway, I said, there's no way he's missing. (laughs) 
Like, if he were to miss it, that me- that means that Tavares pissed somebody off in the bubble and put some sort of voodoo curse on him. Uh, <laughs> like, he already made had he already made some headlines headways on Twitter when he walks through the Boston Bruins pregame uh, in the hallway, and you and you just see him walk casually through, and then. You know, he, he was getting chance after chance after chance. Even in game one, you know, he had those – he had he wasn't at his best. And just, like, th- he's a guy that you need need to get something more out of. Like, he's that's what they paid him to do. He's the captain, you know. And I feel like that goal right there, uh, it, 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 it adds a confidence boost for him because it, you could tell he was getting frustrated, you know, he, I don't know how he got left alone. By the way, on his breakaway, like that's that's pretty un-Columbus like, and I'm pretty sure John Toro made that known to the players after the game. Um, but you know, for him to get that goal, I just think it's so crucial because he needed that confidence boost, and it, it really sealed the deal for Lee's because you know, at one nothing, you're just like, eh, you know, another one or two would be nice, and and he's the one that provided that insurance for them when they needed it. Yeah, and, you know, you take a look at who was on the ice at the time for Columbus, and it was Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski. Those are the, the, the defenders that were on the ice at the time. And, you know, can you look back and think maybe that had something to do with the fact that the, through the first two periods, you know, they were, you know, engaged very physically with the Leafs. The Leafs engaged physically with them and maybe wore them out a little bit so that in the third period – you know, all it took was one mistake. And, and, you know, the fact that they were down a goal, I, you know, you, you get some defensemen starting to pinch and start to jump up into the rush. And all it takes is one bad bounce, one mistake, one break, one, you know, someone takes a spill on the ice and, and away they go. John Tavares is on a breakaway and, and ends up getting the second goal of the hockey game. And uh, I think that's why scoring the first goal was so imperative for Toronto, but certainly, uh, you know, the captain, John Tavares, didn't have a great first game and came out, had a terrific game too, um, and and gave them the insurance marker that was desperately needed to give them a little bit of a cushion uh, as they tried to coast out the rest of the game. Um, All right, that was good. That was fun. I really enjoyed that game. The last two minutes sucked, obviously, after, um, you know, losing – Losing uh, Jake Muzzin is is a tough one. That's going to be tough going forward. It's those are big shoes to fill for Toronto, but uh, you know, next man up mentality. We've been there before, like you said. He missed some time earlier this season, and guys are going to have to step up, namely Travis Dermott. And this is a guy who's going to be looking for a contract extension come the off season. Go out and earn it, buddy. Go out and earn it. This is your chance to do it. So this is me calling out Jake or uh, calling out Travis Dermott. Yeah, I mean, for for me, that's he's he's one guy that I want to see step up in this situation. I do want to say one thing about the Muzz situation. Pouring to Chris Johnson, it's the NHL's medical officials that will make the call on how long he needs to be out for. So just so we can clarify that, if anybody's a little confused, but yeah, but that doesn't even answer the question. (laughs) No, it still does not answer the question. But at all. At least we'll know that it's in the NHL's hands and there's not maybe some sort of uh, official, like there's not a, like an official four day. Although the four days was mentioned in the NHL's return to play from what uh, I saw on Twitter. But I will say, yes, Travis Dermott, 
you know, he's had a very subpar year. I even think since his debut, he hasn't looked like that player. There's something, there was something missing the last little while. And I think now is his chance. A lot of guys are playing for, for contracts, you know, him, Mikheyev, Barry, you know, there's got, you know, Clifford, there's guys who are, who need this time to really show what they, what they are. And, you know, we saw it in game two that, you know, Clifford can be a much needed presence for them. Now I think it's going to be Travis Dermott's turn. I guarantee there's going to be a lot of attention spread his way over the next few days. Yeah. Uh, One quick update from around the league. Our first team has been eliminated. The New York Rangers getting swept by the Carolina Hurricanes three games to none as Carolina uh, gets a big 4-1 win over the Rangers. Really quickly, just want to get your thoughts on that one because to me, I had the Rangers winning this series. I thought of all the teams that that were – um, that could have made a run, a Cinderella run, one of those teams that weren't supposed to be in the playoffs but did, had a couple of upsets along the way. I thought that the Rangers could have been that team, and to see them get bounced in three straight seems to be a, a, a kind of a big underachievement to me for them. What are your thoughts on that? I, I agree with you. Um, I had the Rangers – because, look, the Rangers looked so good going into this. Like, you know – Mika Sabanajad, Artemi Panarin, like those guys, and even uh, uh, Ryan Schroeder, like those guys were pushing the Rangers towards the playoffs. I, I feel like they would have had a really good chance if the NHL didn't go on the pause. They, I think they would have gone in. Um, but I, what I saw from the Hurricanes, their fours, Andrei uh, Sveshnikov and Sebastian Ajo, were ridiculous. Like, they even- are going to be a problem for the NHL for many, many, many years. They were buzzing in this series. I mean, you know, first off, talk about quick starts for them. Like that, I think, really showed what the Hurricanes were by them getting off on the right foot. I mean, Henrik Lundqvist was pretty good in in those games, and yet it still it wasn't enough. They went with Shesterkin in this one, and it still wasn't enough. So, I mean, the Hurricanes, I guarantee now, are going to be riding on cloud nine. Because first off, they got the sweep, so they, they get a little time to prepare for the next series. And, you know, when your top guys are playing like they are, you know, I look at the fact that they get Vincent Trocek from Florida, which I still don't Great understand how up. that happened. Like, they don't have Dougie Hamilton. That's a massive, you know, and that's one guy you would want in these situations. And yep. like, and they've handedly won each game. Like they, it, there was never a point, maybe game two a little bit, but at no point did you say, yeah, New York's got this in the bag. Like Carolina had control from the beginning to the end. And I think Rob Rindabor has done a fantastic job with that team. Yeah. You're burying the lead on this one here, Dave, the winning goaltender for uh, tonight. Uh, you're going to bring this games? up. Reimer. So they're going with the tandem. Peter Morazic gets game one and two, gets the win. They toss out Reimer for game three. Did you see the save he made today with the paddle? Did you happen to see that? It was pretty much right before we sat down to record this podcast. An unbelievable stop. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head who he robbed, but it was highway robbery, and I guarantee you it'll be all over uh, on the TSN Sports Center uh, highlights of the night. It was 
amazing. Uh, James Reimer, a little more than okay, just okay tonight. <laughs> Watching James Reimer in this game gave me real nostalgia feelings from well, 2000, like from when he was with the Leafs from 2011 until 2013. Like those were his prime years with the Leafs. I mean, I've always been a massive James Reimer fan. I know a lot of Leafs fans would think otherwise, but this is a guy who you – it's so hard to cheer against him. He's the nicest person you'll ever meet because I have met him a couple of times. Uh, he can make those ridiculous saves like the paddle one. We've seen those in Toronto before. And I feel like he's finally on a team that will support him. I mean, they won 4-1, and I'm seeing jokes like, oh, James Reimer finally holds a 4-1 lead. I said, you know what? <laughs> he worked damn hard for that 4-1. And, you know, he, he, he was just – he was, I was surprised. I mean, not surprised that they won with him because it's, you know, back-to-back situation. But, I mean, got to love how he just went in there and, you know, New York, a high-firing team, and he only allowed the one goal. Like, if you're a Leafs fan and that gave up on James Reimer, he, he, he in the most kindest way possible, told you that maybe he was not the problem. Uh, so uh, congrats to the Carolina Hurricanes. Then bunch of jerks made me look like an idiot uh, as I was claiming to anyone who wanted to hear that I thought the Rangers were going to go on a bit of a run and have a couple of upsets along the way. And lo and behold, they couldn't even win one freaking game. So shows how much of uh, so how much I know hockey. Apparently, <laughs> Brady Brady <laughs> Shea got some revenge on his old team too. He did. He lot. did. Um, all right. Uh, I think we're going to leave it right there. Uh, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. Like to thank you all for listening and supporting the show. You would subscribe to the lockdown these podcasts and all podcasts and platforms and receive daily leaves content. Follow the show on Twitter at lockdown leaves. Follow myself at Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow Dave at D underscore Morissuti. Dave, you working on anything, uh, leaves related? I mean, I, I do my other writing for the fan side of network as well. Uh, I've been getting more into that leave stuff because we were off but um i i think you know i'm gonna probably ha- look to do a little more work now with, for the sports net playoff on because it, there's just so much to talk about and you know there's so many great juicy storylines we'll see if we can get a leafs one in there hopefully um but it's gonna be very interesting to see how the rest of this plays out because i mean the bruins lost the first game in that round robin they're not guaranteed to finish first so I'm very curious to see how that all plays out as well. Yeah, should be fun. Should be fun. Excited for the next couple of weeks uh, during the qualifying round to see how round one will end up shaking up. But we still got uh, a three-game series here still between the Leafs and the Blue Jackets as both of them now with one win apiece uh, in this best-of-five series. If you want some more Hockey Talk, be sure to check out the Locked On NHL podcast where me and four other Locked On hosts discuss the latest around the entire league. As for this show, I'll be back with another episode tomorrow. But until then, keep it locked right here on Locked On Leafs.